We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Well, welcome back. This is Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and we are doing our second episode in our series on evolution. How are you today, Bob? I'm all beat down, Hampton. I've got a good out terrible allergies going on i get this every time this every time of the year you know in the fall and then my back hurts i I carried this big heavy stuff a couple weeks ago my back's been bugging me allergies but i'm tough hampton yeah i'm I'm gonna persevere well you're a coach so you have to be be tough (laughs) and uh, one of the things that's helping me get through it is I'm excited. This is one of my favorite subjects. You know, wisdom's probably my very favorite. And I've got some other really favorite subjects we can talk about off air. But um, as far as biblical material, evolution is such a great subject because it's so pervasive in the mindset of uh, the populace. It's a fantastic example, actually, of the social imaginary. Yes, we uh, last week, Josiah and I watched the new Jurassic World um, movie that came out this past year. Oh, well, I'm not a movie guy. I know you're not a movie guy. (laughs) Did you ever see the first Jurassic Park? I saw bits and pieces. Yeah, Sam Neill. Uh-huh. Uh, Laura Linney, Jeff Goldblum. Well, in this one, they brought the old crowd crew into, you know, the movie with the new newest cast member from the, you know, previous. And it was good. But, you know, there was just the 65 dinosaurs, 65 million years old. And, yes. you know, there was so much evolution in there. And yes. uh, they got to keep repeating it. So we will believe it. It's so pervasive. It's so, do you remember when was it Hampton when, when we were uh, just getting to know each other? Was it four or five years ago for maybe we went down to Denver together? You were living up at like around Carbondale at the time and yeah. we went down to ETS. Right. So the Evangelical Theological Society yearly meeting, which is going to be in Denver again this fall. It is, but, but it's uh, now a 16-hour drive for me, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll probably go down there. But anyway, um, remember I was blown away. They had one, you know, you can divide up and to whichever little section you want to go to after the plenary sessions. And uh, so I th- saw in the program, oh, there's like an evolution committee or presentation. I thought, what? 
And so, you know, it interests me. So I went and sat in on that one. I was blown away that that was even considered as a, you know, viable um, intellectual position. Really, that that blew me away. It didn't you. You've been around that stuff more than me. You've seen that creeping in, I think. But that that blew me away that that, that was considered as theologically possible. Yeah, I can't remember who the guy was that gave the talk. It was a previous ETS. And uh, I learned at that that A-N-E doesn't stand for Ancient Near East. (laughs) It stands for Adam Never Existed. I mean, Jesus sure thought he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, well, we're gonna we're yeah, gonna so do let's a, dive in. a book, sort of a book review, aren't we? Of uh, we are Revolutions we Achilles heel. We are. We introduced be he last time, and I, I need to get some feedback on that because if that wasn't good enough, we need to do it again because be be he's argument is he it's game over for evolution. It is not viable. Um, not even close. That that argument is insurmountable, shuts the door. When you have an irreducibly complex system that could not have been built by evolution. That's Behe's point. And so he goes through hundreds of pages of defending that. So I hope we made that clear. We just use one example of of making tubes, right? Tubulin. The right. great protein that does that. So anyway, um, you know, the tail or the, or the motile apparatus on a bacteria, like a flagellum or on a cilia, things like that, <laughs> cilium. Anyway, if that wasn't clear, we need to redo it because um, Behe is so powerful. But what we wanted to jump into then was, as you mentioned, a book, it's edited right? It's called Evolution's Achilles Heels. So it's got maybe nine chapters or so on all the subjects that pertain to evolution. And it shows all of them severely wanting. So let me just read some of the subjects in this book. There's a chapter on natural selection. We'll get into that today. There's a chapter on genetics and DNA chapter on the origin of life, the fossil record, the geologic record, radiometric dating, cosmology, ethics, and morality. All of those are, um, well, let let me say it this way. Evolution is severely vulnerable on all of those issues. Well, I think he, make, he makes the comment, if any one of those fails, the whole system collapses and, and, and then correct. he proceeds to show that all nine fail. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll bet that really surprises people that, no, I thought, you know, dating, they had the dating down, not even close. When you really look at this, I mean, these chapters are not written by beginners, right? right. They're written by experts in their fields. And I think, you know, maybe one thing to point out as we barely get started here is discussions that you have with uh, anyone, but in this case, particularly scientists, behind closed doors is often very different 
than discussions you have with them in public. Right. So to me, that's telling. I rem- you know, I was a biology major in college, but for uh, <laughs> undergraduate stuff, and I remember asking one of my favorite professors one time. I was not a Christian at that time, and I, you know, quote believed evolution, but again, not like a an article of faith like it is with most of the scientific community but you know just because it's the dominant paradigm so okay i'll I'll roll with that right at at the time and i remember asking her it was just her and i in the room we were cleaning up some dirty beakers or something and i said hey professor do you do you think we evolved and i asked it sincerely and she knew i was asking that sincerely you know she didn't perceive i had any hidden agenda or anything and i didn't and she just flat out said, I have no idea. There's no way she would say that in public. And, and that's not um, accusatory of her. As I think a lot of scientists are like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was an honest answer. And you remember what we read last week about, it wasn't in Behe, but it was in, in the other book we referred to, um, Darwin on Trial where the uh, prominent British evolutionists would go to like an evolutionary morphology meeting, you know, like we're going to go to ETS or something. They go to their yearly meetings and he asks the room, is there any one thing you know that is true about evolution? And there's just dead silence, right? That's literally a behind closed door answer. Well, and what did you say? Uh, we should never teach this in high school was the one thing they were sure of. That's the one the guy said, I know we shouldn't be teaching it in high school. So I, I really want to equip people. Let me read from Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse one. Now I, Paul, appeal to you personally by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when present among you, but am full of courage towards you went away. Now I ask that when I'm present, I may not have to be bold with the confidence that I expect I will dare to use against some of you who consider us to be behaving according to human standards. For though we live as human beings, we do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerfully by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. So <clears throat> evolution is maybe the dominant paradigm in all of our culture. Of course it is within, quote, the halls of science, but I think in, in the culture as a whole, that's where almost everybody's coming from, right? God has been removed from our culture and our thought world and evolution has replaced it and that needs to be torn down 
by every Christian to the best of their ability. And I think the reason that we're not doing as good a job on that as we could is because it's science and a lot of people punt when it comes to science. Thinking it's too complex? Yes. I, yes. You know, well, that's not what I studied in college. You know, I'm a history major or an attorney or whatever. It's not beyond any listener. You can do it. You're going to have to work to understand what's going on, but you can do it. Don't let it intimidate you. We'll try to make the concepts as simple as possible. And in fact, really, they are. Yes, um, I think they are. Right. But I, I don't want people to punt on this. I want you to dive in because you'll be amazed that the things that are said with absolute confidence from the scientific community into our culture are not <laughs> that strong at all once you look behind the curtain. So anyway, that's how I wanted to start out. Yeah, well, I know in his in his forward, he makes a comment. In our age, the materialist, naturalist dogma rides high, brazen, brazenly confident in its assertion that it has the authority of science on its side. So that's the, the yeah. false, false front that they put forth. That's exactly right. That, that's the point I'm making. You, yeah. you said it through that guy much better. Um, and remember some of our core values. <laughs> A corollary to one of our core values is good science is good. Bad science is bad. You just can't make the blanket statement, quote, science says. You got to dig in. Right. There are very few things that, that scientists believe universally and that no one questions, right? A lot of science is the process of discovering stuff. It's it's not a united front on all these issues. Um, so good science is good. Bad science is bad. Uh, the only thing that will keep you from understanding something is laziness. So don't be lazy. Get the books, read them. If you don't understand it, read it again. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> until you do. So anyway, I'm excited about this. I'm going to persevere through my tribulations of my allergies and my bad back, Hampton. I'm going to ramp it up. Are you with me? I am. Okay, how about we just uh, dive in and start reading from the foreword of this book? Um, and then you interrupt me and make your comments as you see fit, please. <clears throat> so this this is uh, Dr. Carl Wieland writing the foreword. He's the managing director of Creation Ministries International in Australia position he's held since 1987. Let me see when this little book was published. Uh, 2015. So not too long ago. And um, if you want further information on this stuff, the website creation.com is a good one. He runs that. So this is how he begins. In my more than 35 years of involvement in the origins controversy. There has never been anything quite like this book. So let's pause there for a second. 
well, wouldn't you ex- if the title says evolutions achilles heels why does he say the origins controversy what do you think well i mean evolution is trying to explain our origin and how we all got here okay that's that's fundamental to an understanding of this subject as a whole evolutionists ultimately are trying to say this is how we got here there was no creator things evolved and that no creator part is critical to what they think no creator you'll you'll see that stated in some other ways throughout these introductory chapters so anyway, evolution ultimately is a theory of how we got here, exclusive of a creator. So nine PhD scientists, experts in various disciplines, each take on a separate area of evolutionary theory and belief. And never has it been more sorely needed. In our age, the materialist naturalist dogma rides high, brazenly confident in its assertion that it has the authority of science on its side, exactly as you said a minute ago. So first, an explanation. The word evolution in this book's title means much more than genetic change, more even than origin of life's diversity. The term will be used to encompass the whole grand scale scenario that modern culture takes as foundational in its rejection of the creator god of the bible that stars planets and galaxies supposedly came about when nothing somehow exploded yeah i like that (laughs) (laughs) don't you don't you like that (laughs) how can nothing explode (laughs) that lifeless chemicals by largely mysterious processes are supposed to have somehow formed the first living thing, a biological machine so complex as to be able to make copies of itself and to harness usable energy from the environment, and that from this fortuitous first life has come the entire array of species, both past and present. Let's pause for a second, pick up what you you were picking up on. Imagine nothing, but really imagine it nothing absolutely nothing i don't think you can imagine that and it's almost impossible to imagine but even beginning to imagine it how could that do anything it can't explode there's nothing there to explode how how could it do any so if we came from nothing That is, I I guess I'll just say it this way, trying to be gentle about it. You know, Peter says to to be gentle in your your, uh, defense of the faith. So let me try to be gentle. The statement that something came from nothing is absolutely logically absurd. Right. That's as gently as I can say that. So every person out there that fundamentally believes that 
absurd. Just, just absurd. You can't get something from nothing. You know who knows that more than anybody really are the physicists? Because they keep trying to invent, you know, different ways to explain the cosmos that get around that idea. They have to start with something like hydrogen <laughs> or, you know, you, you or have whatever. To, you can't start with nothing, yeah. right? <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> so he's making that point. And then, you know, he goes into the chapters that that we'll cover moving forward. Um, but his, his point is all of these chapters, Achilles heel. Well, let's let's read why Achilles heels. Why, why did they name it that? So I think most people know who Achilles is, you know, the great Greek hero, invincible in battle almost. <laughs> Almost, yeah. because of the myth you know his mom when she was born wanted him to be invincible so dipped him in the river sticks to protect him from everything but she didn't get his heel in there because that's where she held him to dip it in the river so that part never got protected so he was invulnerable unless you got a spear or an arrow into his heel and then that brought him down so those are fun stories, but that's come down in our culture as as a metaphor. Right. Right. Of of vulnerability. Like you look like you're invulnerable, but you're not. So hence the title of the book. It looks like evolution is invulnerable in all these uh, subject areas, but they're not. So that's his point in the next page and a half. So we've made that for him. So then let's continue with him in the next section. And this is important too. <clears throat> he, he calls this little subsection, the nature of facts. I want to back up. Okay. I thought it was important. He talked about the inherent circularity of the uh, evolutionist arguments. And then he said, there's a rule is that the data may only be understood and interpreted within the presuppositions of the paradigm itself. Yeah. And so um, explanations outside of nature are automatically ruled out. Yeah. So let me, let me give a basic example of that. Thank you, Hampton, for bringing that up. So when you say, for instance, this fossil, is 500 million years old and i might say to a presenter of that well how do you know it's 500 million years old and they would say well because it's in this rock and then i would say well how do you know how old the rock is and then they would say because that fossil's in it <laughs> right literally I've, I've heard that dozens of times and you just sit there with your mouth open going well How'd you get your degree? Because that's a circular, that is the definition of a circular argument. And yeah. so that, that's what he's pointing out. They do that in, in every one of these areas because they assume the model and then explain things according to the model. <laughs> so we, we'll get to this section on the nature effects. I want to make a, a point about this. This whole controversy, incidentally, has never been about unearthing facts for creation. 
versus facts for evolution. I wonder if that surprises people, that the whole controversy has never been about facts. And Hampton, how many times in our earlier podcast did we refer back to Romans 1? Yeah. Right? It's never been about facts. Romans 1 says that, right, about God. He's made it known to people who he is. It's never been about knowledge. And I, I know that just sounds strange when, because you think when you're telling someone the gospel, you know, oh, well, they just haven't heard this. Uh, they know. <laughs> According to God, they know. Yeah. You know, like like the responsibility was on God to make it known, and he did that. He did not drop the ball. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, he well, goes I on, think there's an... Uh, the impression is that science is facts and that Christians, yes, yes. Christians are just biased. Yeah. Belief. And we and have belief. We have, have beliefs. Facts. And so he's pointing out that there are in, there are facts and they're both sides are biased. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the word bias, but in that case, but I, yes, that's a presuppositions. Guy, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So then he's, he'll get into that. When it comes to matters of history, as opposed to experimental or operational science, the science that concerns itself with how the world works, the issue's never been the facts so much as their interpretation. We all have the same world, the same facts. Those on both sides of the controversy observe the same stars, rocks, animals, and fossils, and we see the same natural selection and mutation. And philosophers of science have long reminded us that raw, uninterpreted facts never speak for themselves. As the late Harvard professor Stephen Jay Gould once wrote, facts do not speak for themselves. They're read in the light of theory. So let me present an image to people uh, that they need to have in their mind. Because until this um, sinks in, you really need to contemplate this because it'll help you understand reality and the way people function um, within the world. So imagine a pyramid, and, and this is going to represent what I'm trying to draw out is a person's um, map in their mind, a mental map for understanding the world okay so picture a pyramid and the top level the smallest chunk of the pyramid is facts then picture the middle section of the pyramid that's dominant and it's called theories and then picture the base of the pyramid which supports the whole thing and that would be called like presuppositions that's how people work. Mm -hmm. And it's it seems strange at first. Wouldn't you think you people would operate in such a way that facts were the dominant part of their worldview? You would hope. You want to be interacting sincerely with reality, not insincerely. But almost no one does that. 
So here's, let's apply it to evolution. The evolutionists and the very fundamental level, so imagine the base of that pyramid, believes there's no God. That is where he's coming from. Yeah, that's in, their presupposition. That's their presupposition. And in the middle of the pyramid, then, is evolution. That's their theory. And then facts at the top all fit in however much they have to twist them into that dominant picture. Okay, a creationist like me fundamental, fundamentally believes God created the world. That's my presupposition. And now I would say that's a fact. That's not a presupposition, right? But for the sake of the illustration, I'll just call it a presupposition. Then my theory is, well, he made them according to their kinds, which he says in mm -hmm. Genesis 1. So, yes, do things mutate? Of course they do. Are, is a better adapted organism going to reproduce more than yes but that doesn't change anything with with creation so every quote fact i come across will naturally fit i don't have to twist it into my system so anyway i think people should just have that picture of that pyramid in their mind of how people are operating that you're dealing with so then he goes on, in any case, the argument is less about the type of science that has given us so many benefits for humanity, the one that studies how the world works based on repeatable experiment and observation, than about competing beliefs about history. Objections like Genesis is not a science textbook miss the point. Genesis presents a majestic yet compact and rather straightforward eyewitness account of one-off, unobservable, and unrepeatable events, the history of the origins of life, the universe, and everything. The evolutionary notion is ultimately an idea about history, too. It is a story that tells a very different set of one-off, unobservable, and unrepeatable events. This highlights that we are in the realm of beliefs about the past when dealing with the issue of origins. It is the responsibility of every individual to determine which interpretation of the facts makes more sense of the available data. How are we doing so far, Hampton? Yeah, that's good. And that was what I wanted to say is that it's ironic because, you know, they say that Genesis is not a science textbook, but it's ironic that evolution is not science either. It, it isn't. It's a theory. It's a belief system. And the fact that scientists promote it gives it the false impression that it's science, but it is, in fact, their religion and it's masquerading as science. Exactly right. So anything on, in the next, you know, in the rest of that section, or did we cover enough of his point there? And then we move on to building model, models or critiquing evolution. Uh, let me look. I have a, another thing highlighted. 
And it says a big problem is that while the axioms of biblical creationism are clearly stated up front on the table, as it were, the fact that the evolutionary edifice is constructed on similarly unprovable faith belief assumptions is much less widely appreciated. The biblical creationist's overt presuppositional basis is often misunderstood as a negative since it shows how biased they are. Um, And this may help explain why many Christians instinctively shy away from this presuppositional approach, failing to appreciate its power and usefulness in Bible science apologetics. Yeah. And that's kind of, he, I think that's him saying what I said, um, but yeah. And that's, he's, he's just fleshing out more, that picture of the pyramid. He isn't using that picture of the pyramid that I presented, but that's what he's fleshing out. But let me give a concrete example of that. We'll get to this in one of the coming chapters, but in how many people's minds is the picture of the evolutionary tree? I just want people to know that's made up. That is not real. That is not what the fossil record shows. Right. They drew the tree and then fit those skeletons, you know, those fossils into that tree. That is not what you see when you discover a fossil. What you really see in the fossil record, the reason I'm adamant about this is the original opponents of Darwin were not the clergy. Oddly enough, the clergy kind of dropped the ball. The original opponents of Darwin were the uh, geologists, the people looking at the fossil record going, well, that's not what we see in this fossil record. The fossil record looks exactly like what you would think it would look like if there was once a great flood that covered the earth. Well, and I think I remember Darwin says somewhere in his book, that or one of his books that if the fossil record doesn't you know we don't find these validate them then then my whole theory falls apart yeah and they never have and they never did and he didn't wouldn't admit it correct it it does not look like what you see in a beginning biology textbook with that nice tree here's the branches here's where this thing it they made that so my point in bringing up that is the presuppositions that the evolutionist has that allows them to create that tree but it's not reality it's not what's in the ground when you go dig up a fossil it's not a nice tree like that it's skeletons scattered everywhere (laughs) yeah how about and how about this phrase oh have you ever heard this this phrase tossed around in in these uh, discussions, the Cambrian explosion. Uh huh. Does that sound like evolution? Explosion. All right. of a sudden, you have all these preformed fossils. That's not evolution. Well, whose term is that? That's their term, mm-hmm. not mine. I'm telling you, the fossil record looks nothing like the way they present it. Anyway. Back to our author here. You can tell Hampton I get riled up about this stuff. You gotta, you gotta try to mellow me out a little bit. Remind me that my back is bothering me. Okay, I'll, I'll slow down. Yeah. So, where are we building models or critiquing evolution? Yes. So let me begin 
with that. As important as creationist model building and model refining is, though, evolution's Achilles heels is not primarily about that. Its focus is unashamedly on critiquing evolution. Granted, believers are not supposed to be argumentative and objectionable in giving reasons for what we believe we are to do so with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3.15. But we are supposed to demolish arguments that are set up in opposition to God. This is how the Apostle Paul described that aspect of the mission of the followers of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 10.5, which we read. So I actually don't think there's anything wrong with being passionate about your subject. I don't want to be disrespectful, and I do want to be gentle, um, but I also want to don't want to lose my passion. Right. So, well, he goes on to say after that, besides being a false view of history, the stranglehold of evolutionism on public thought is profound and is a huge barrier to the gospel for millions. Yeah. And I think that's a key thought yeah. because if you don't believe there's a God that created you, then you're not going to be responsible to him. And, and that's, you know, the root motivation for accepting evolution is it's not true. What, what Dawkins said in the blind watchmaker that Darwin made it intellectually, was it made it possible to be possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist? Yeah. But yeah. it gives yeah, it's it sounds good, and so people believe it. Yeah, I had a just to make this personal, and then we'll finish out this forward here. We'll go over to the next section. I you can critique me on this, you know, sincerely critique me because I'm not sure I'm right about this. I sort of think I am in my gut, but I'm open to being advised. So I gave this presentation once. I forget how many years ago now. I don't know, maybe 10 years or so at the, uh, oh, what's it called? The something for Christian scholars. You know, it's a worldwide organization. Okay. Inst Institute for Christian scholars or something like that. So the conference was in uh, Kansas City and I presented a paper on how the devil works in academia. <laughs> and I thought, you know, no one's gonna come to this. And it was the room was packed. Oh yeah. And to I mean literally there was it was standing room. They couldn't let any more people in. And I started getting scared, like, oh my gosh, I didn't think anyone was gonna come to this. So yeah, I presented my material and in the course of that, I get into more of the story at a, at a later time. It's really kind of funny now. But uh, anyway, there was a Japanese biology professor, and he was in the front row, and he was telling me that his father, had, who was also a biology professor in Japan, had come to faith, but he still believed in evolution. And I said, well, then your father hasn't come to faith. And I don't know if I'm right in that. 
But I what I said was you again have to hear the whole presentation to understand where I was coming from. But I said God said He made the animal kinds. If your father believes in evolution, which is claiming that God didn't do it, that it evolved, I said, then he, your father doesn't believe God. And that means he hasn't come to faith. Based on Genesis 15, 6, right? Abraham believed God mm-hmm. and it was reckoned to him as, so anyway, <clears throat> oh boy. He that, didn't like that? <laughs> no one in that room liked that. <laughs> And it became a big brouhaha, and we were saved only by the bell. But that's where I'm coming from. And I'm open to advisement, but I don't see how you can believe both those things. You can't, right? I understand. So you advise me over time. We don't have to settle that right now. But let's finish out this last section here on the foreword. Um. A corollary, so we're under creation or evolution. Is there a third option? A corollary to this notion that one should not be attacking evolution, but rather strengthening creation, is the complaint that undermining evolution is not necessarily demonstrating biblical creation anyhow. How it, you know, I don't, I, that flies in the face of 2 Corinthians 10, but anyway... Uh, However, just as the concept of evolution is far broader than just the neo-Darwinian concept of and mechanism for universal common descent, so too one needs to step back a little to appreciate the fundamental nature of this controversy. At the end of the day, there really are only two options. Either the world was made or it made itself. I agree 100% with that. Right. Okay. If it was not made, then hydrogen, hold on. You can't even say that. (laughs) Hydrogen is something. If there was nothing, you can't create something. But anyway, to, (laughs) to carry out his argument, If it is not made, then hydrogen is a gas, which not only has appeared from nothing, but left to itself has turned into people and everything else. If it was made, then we're talking about a making entity. In other words, a creator. That, by definition, is so stupendous that the only viable candidate, really, is the infinite personal God, of the Judeo-Christian Bible. By invoking the philosophical law of the excluded middle, one can truly say that the credibility of Genesis of the Genesis account is greatly strengthened by identifying and exposing the Achilles heels of grand-scale evolution by definition. I think he's right. You know, here's how you say it on the street. There's only two games in town. If you you eliminate one of the games, there's only one left. (laughs) So that's what he was trying to say there. So those who have been used, used to seeing the commonly repeated criticisms of creation may be surprised 
to see just how seriously deficient the case for evolution is overall. In fact, many of the assumptions underlying evolutionism within the various subject areas fly in the face of known scientific laws and principles in physics, chemistry, and probability. So keep this in mind. So that, that's the end of the forward. We've said this before, but it, it bears repeating. In the, um, in the uh, context of a university, you actually find a greater percentage of believing Christians in the hard sciences in chemistry, physics, biology, and so on, as opposed to the humanities, right? The humanities are just where all the spin doctors live. But you, you actually find more believers in the hard sciences. Why is that? Because they're dealing with reality. And, and when you deal with reality, that ultimately leads you to God. Yeah. It's an interesting way to think about it. Do we have time to get started on natural selection? Actually, I don't think we should. We've probably been going 50 minutes. so we Already to... you rabbit trailed me that many times? <laughs> no, there was just a lot of good stuff in that forward. <laughs> I agree. And it's almost like, you know, I said this to you before we started. It's almost as if you need to go through the book and then read the foreword again to let, and that stuff will sink in even deeper on how presuppositional evolution really is. Yeah. But I'm okay if you want to call good. it here and we'll crank up the next chapter next time. Okay. Well, that was good. I guess we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Hampton. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.